You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. You're sitting in front of the mirror getting ready for bed. There's nobody else in the house. You see something move in the corner of your eye. You glance to your right, but you don't see anything. Another minute goes by, and you think you see movement again. So you slowly turn to your left, but again, the room is empty. You turn back around, and staring you face to face in the mirror is a cat. You jump back, because you don't have a cat, and there's no cat in the room. But there he is, staring at you in the mirror. Welcome to Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week, we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Now, step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, our ghost host. Hello, and welcome to Paranormal Pets. I'm your host, Brandy Stark. Today's episode, I'm actually going to do a little bit of talking. I found a rather interesting article on animals and personality. And uh, also, I did some academic research for about a 20-page essay on the relationship of dogs and death, dogs as liminal beings, underworld guardians, and psychopomps. We've talked about dogs sensing ghosts in the past and dogs as ghosts in the past, and I always wondered what the connection was. So I've tried to do a little research to pull that together. So. So I will actually get started with that right after these commercial messages. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to TeachersPetSessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Silvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com Hi, and welcome to the Family Pet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Colleen Safford. Each week, we'll focus on different topics, child pet safety, child pet training, just how to make an appropriate pet selection for your family. All of these things will be covered in each one of our episodes. So we hope that you will join us at the Family Pet on Pet Life Radio. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. 
Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And welcome back. What I'm going to start off with for this episode is the article, Maybe You Do Think Like the Animals, by Natalie Anguier from the New York Times. This was reprinted in the Sunday, April 11th, 2010 section, uh, Perspective of the St. Petersburg Times on page 6P. And it starts out as such. I recently tried taking a couple of online personality tests, and I must say I was disappointed by the exercise. Nowhere were there any real challenges like the following. Let's say you are very hungry and you go over to your favorite food dish. Inside you see, in addition to the standard blend of peanuts and insect parts, a bright pink plastic frog. How long before you work up the nerve to eat your dinner anyway? Or you have just been ushered into a room that is in every way familiar, except that somebody has put a scrap of old brown carpet in the middle of the floor. Do you keep your distance, or do you rush over and start pecking at it. These and other vividly tangible gems are taken from the burgeoning field of animal personality research, the effort to understand why individual members of the same species can be so mulishly themselves, and so unlike one another on a wide variety of behavioral measures. Scientists studying animals have found evidence of distinct personalities, bundled sets of behaviors, quirks, preferences, and pet peeves that remain stable over time and across settings. They have found stylistic diversity in chimpanzees, monkeys, barnacle geese, farm minks, blue tits and great tits, bighorn sheep, dumpling squid, pumpkin seed sunfish, zebra finches, spotted hyenas, even spiders and water striders, to name but a few. They have identified hotheads and tiptoers, schmoozers and loners, divas, dullards, and fearless explorers, and they have learned that animals like us often cling to the same personality for the bulk of their lives. The daredevil chicken of today is the one out crossing the road tomorrow. Researchers are delving into the source and significance of animal spirits. They are asking questions like, when geese start on a wild goose chase, what sort of goose will lead the flock, and why do the rest follow it? They are devising computer models to explain how different personality types can be maintained in an animal population, and they are exploring the upsides and drawbacks of different personal styles. Scientists are exploring personal qualities that span physiologies. Recent research suggests that highly sensitive, arty-type humans have a lot in common with squealing pigs and twitchy mice, and that to call a hypersensitive person thin-skinned or touchy might hold a grain of physical truth. Catherine A. Herborn and her colleagues at the University of Glasgow worked with a group of 125 wild-caught blue tits over the course of two winters. First, they typed each bird's personality in the lab, focusing on two key traits, neophobia or fear of novelty, and the willingness to explore one's surroundings. They put pink plastic frogs in the bird's food dish and clocked the time it took for each bird to feed. All the birds noticed the luminous intruder. You could see that they were agitated hopping around the cage, said Herborn, who was completing her doctorate, but some of them shrugged off their fear and started feeding with Within seconds, while other birds kept distant for several minutes. The researchers then released the tag birds back into the wild and continued monitoring their neophobic and exploratory tendencies. The results were clear. Birds that had been frog-averse in captivity were every bit as skittish outdoors, and the high explorers when caged were similarly adept at finding new feeding opportunities far afield. A bird in the lab worked like a bird in the bush. The findings were reported in this month's issue of Animal Behavior. 
As for the birds of a feather to goose step together, someone must make the first move. As they reported last summer in Animal Behavior, Ralph H. J. M. Curvers of Wageningen University in the Netherlands and his colleagues sought to learn why certain barnacle geese would start moving, others would honkily follow. The only reliable predictor of goose leadership was boldness, the willingness to approach a new item like a scrap of carpet. Geese are not stupid. The boldest birds also prove the most adept at finding new food patches. And if you're looking for grazing advice in a crowd, why not follow the goose with a golden track record? Scientists suspect small inherited predispositions are either enhanced or suppressed by experience, and computer models show that the tiny discrepancies can become enormous over time through feedback loopings of positive reinforcement. Evidence is emerging that physical set points affect temperament globally. Notable among such set points is the relative rate at which one's nervous system processes sensory information. There are low information processors who don't attend much to their environment and bulldoze through life, said David Sloan Wilson of the State University of New York at、uh, Binghamton. Then there are the sensitive ones who are always taking things in, which can be good because information is valuable, but it can also be overwhelming. Studies of highly sensitive people show their delicacy is domain general, Wilson said. Not only are they exceptionally moved by symphonies and find graphic depictions of violence too hard to bear, but they are also sensitive to drugs like caffeine, and their skin is easily irritated by the wrong soap, sunscreen, and fabric. Highly sensitive pigs squeal a lot. Highly sensitive people feel a lot. So that's the article. I thought this was rather interesting because the more we research into animal personalities and cognition skills, the more I think we're going to find that animals are much more intelligent than we ever thought they were.、Uh, one thing I do find interesting is that、uh, the whole notion of animals has really radically transformed over the years from the fact that animals had no souls, according to the Christianized West, and therefore were, were used for vivisection. And actually, because you cannot open the human body, Our notion of medicine was actually based on animal autopsies. That's how we learned everything about ourselves up until、uh, really the Enlightenment era, where、uh, some of the church influences weakened and、uh, human autopsies began. So, you know, we've transformed from that all the way up to the idea that animals will go to heaven. We have the Rainbow Bridge. Animals produce ghosts. Animals are ghosts. Animals are having their own rights these days. It's a very, very fascinating transformation. Now that having been said, what we're going to do is we're going to roll right on into the relationships of dogs and death. Dogs as liminal beings, underworld guardians, and psychopomps. This study was actually quite interesting. As I said, I've always been rather fascinated with dogs, even though everybody here knows that pugs are technically not dogs; they are small, slightly misshapen humans. But、uh, for purposes of this particular、uh, episode, I guess I have to put them more with their canineoid heritage, shall we say? But what I find most interesting is the role of Dogs in the lives of humans. It turns out what my research showed is that humans and dogs first came together about 12,000 BCE. Now there is no firm date because, of course, that is prehistory. But this is where archaeological evidence seems to indicate that there was a transition and wolves were domesticated. And of course, as you can hear in the background here, my wolves,、uh, Odysseus and Achilles, are very, very busily snoring away, ever so diligent at protecting my heart. And home, but anyway, 
I thought that was kind of interesting because humans and dogs have had a very close relationship. There are theories that indicate that humans and dogs can more or less understand each other's facial expressions or bodily expressions, I guess as the case may be. We can communicate on a certain level. If you think about it, uh, if you hear your pug barking then or your dog, uh, then you know that it's excited, it wants your attention, it's trying to get attention, it sees something. I mean, we have this idea. If a dog is standing with its ears forward, it's interested and curious, ears kind of relaxed, it's relaxed, tail wagging, it's happy, hunched over, it's afraid. Uh, they are just about as expressive as we are. And not only are they expressive, but they are hierarchical, just like we are. You have a head leader, and then everybody else kind of falls into place in the pack. And that, I think, we find with humankind as well. So that having been said, of course the relationship is going to develop very early on. Now, what I find most fascinating is that as we move through history, even though dogs had all of these positive aspects to them, they do take on a supernatural trait very, very early on. And that's because dogs are carrion eaters. Humans are not stupid. Uh, we certainly observe very early on that dogs are hunters. Wolves are very vicious hunters. So they do help to protect life for the pack and for territories. But, you know, if they turn on anything or if they are hungry, they can certainly become very vicious. Uh, in addition to that, dogs have a supernatural sense of smell, if you will. They have wonderfully sensitive noses, you know, thousands, I, I would guesstimate, now I don't have this in the research, but, you know, at least several hundred times more sensitive than our own nose and our own olfactory senses. And they are able to smell the dead. And as such, they become carrion eaters. They have no qualms eating the dead. And in fact, I, I still happen to remember one day when one of my rats had just died and I had buried him and found to my utter dismay that I had not buried him deeply enough and that the pugs were, or one pug actually in specific, was actually trying to dig him up to eat him. And uh, you learn very quickly at that point, dogs are carrion eaters. Uh, so what does that have to do with anything? Carrion eaters actually relate to the idea that they consume death. You are what you eat, in other words. We know that we consume the earth and we, we grow. Therefore, we are a part of the earth. Dogs consume the dead. Therefore, they take on aspects of death. And in some cases, they may be considered to actually take on a small piece of the departed's soul. So very early on, there's this whole notion of dogs and carrion eaters and hunters and protectors. And all of this seems to get very jumbled up. So dogs end up taking on multiple supernatural roles over time. So that having been said, we start moving into the idea that dogs are liminal beings. As carrion eaters, they actually fit in with a very elite group of animals that are also carrion eaters that are also emissaries to the dead. For example, pigs. Pigs eat whatever's in front of them. There's a very famous case in which somebody was killed and actually chopped up and fed to the pigs. And this, this I actually saw, in, I think, uh, forensic files, I believe. But, you know, the idea that pigs will pretty much eat whatever you put in front of them. Well, as such, pigs very early on became associated with death and were actually the appropriate sacrifice to Proserpina, there we go, who is the goddess of, of the underworld. You have the idea of the crow or the raven. 
We certainly know stories of crows and ravens being associated with death. Edgar Allan Poe even brings that out in his wonderful poem, uh, Once Upon a Midnight Dreary, While I Pondered Weak and Weary, right? And we even have the crow who is the patron bird of the god Apollo. And as such, Apollo is a god of death. Interestingly enough, as an aside, Apollo is also the god of mice, pestilence, wolves, silent killer of men, reason, music. He's got it all. He's one of those multi-talented individuals. I like to think he's a Gemini like myself. Just one of those well-rounded Renaissance men, a little before his time. So essentially, you know, we have this idea of Apollo and his death aspect and association with a carnivorous animal to a certain degree, at least a, a scavenging animal, if not carnivorous, which would be essentially the crow. So, as such, these animals almost always take on a liminal status. Now, liminal basically means an in-between status. So they are between the conditioned, or our world, and the unconditioned, or the supernatural world. And they oftentimes show up as emissaries to the gods and others, and actually emissaries for humankind. So based upon this ideology, I continue to do research. So what we're taking a look at is we do know that very early on there were archaeological excavations from the early Iron Age that showed initial proof of the dog-otherworld connection. We do know that very ancient Greeks actually buried dogs with some of their dead. Now, not every tomb had this, but the question is, why would you do that? And there is some belief that it's possible that the dogs were considered to be an aid in the afterlife. And while these questions you know, may not have a solid answer, we do know that as early as the Iliad, written by Homer uh, around 8th century BCE, we have a wonderful story, and I, I'm a huge fan of the Iliad, as you must know, because one of my pugs is named Iliad, but we have a story of Patroclus and Achilles. Achilles is the hero of the Iliad, and if you saw the movie Troy, disregard all of it, please. But Achilles is this fiery, red-headed warrior who has this massive ego, and he pouts when his girlfriend is taken away from him, and he refuses to fight. So Patroclus decides, Patroclus, who is Achilles' best friend, and possibly a little bit more, but definitely a guy pal, decides that he needs to help the Greeks. He is so disheartened, he will not fight, because Achilles said, you know, as leader of my people, none of us are fighting, but Patroclus says, well, you know, can I just put on your armor and at least stand out there and give him some hope? And Achilles says to that, yes, yes, you may. And so that is exactly what Patroclus does. Unfortunately for Patroclus, Hector does not know that he is not Achilles and spears him and he is killed. And Achilles is devastated and we're talking immense devastation. So here's what ends up happening. Essentially, he kills Hector, and there's all sorts of gods and supernatural things that happen, but after the war is over, after at least this initial battle is over, we actually find in book 23 of the Iliad that Patroclus, his ghost, the ghost of Patroclus shows up and says to Achilles, excuse me, but you haven't given me a funeral. And here I am, wandering between worlds without any guidance. And so Achilles, the next morning, gets up, and he gathers the Greeks, and they prepare Patroclus for the afterworld. And the direct quote is, They killed flocks of sheep and herds of cattle in front of the pyre, skinned them and cut them up. Jars of honey and oil he placed, leaning against the beer. Four horses he laid carefully on the pyre, groaning aloud. Nine dogs the prince had that fed from his table. Two of these Achilles took and cut their throats and laid them beside him. Then he applied the relentless fire to consume all. So once again, we have this notion of 
dogs assisting the dead, or at least dog sacrifice as appropriate for the deceased. As we move on, we do find other aspects of dogs and the supernatural. We do know that there was a Eurasian mythology that dealt with the people of Siberia. And when a person died, they actually buried with that individual their favorite deer skin and a dog. So again, a dog as assisting you in the afterlife. It's not just Greek. It does seem to extend out a little bit. Now, the dog's reputation as a scavenger can be seen very early on in human history. Dogs help to clean up death when they consume the corpse. Now, usually corpses that are left out, if you think about it, there's something tragic that happened because it is part of human nature to take care of the dead. So either they were killed, there was something bad that happened to them, or they are so bad themselves, they have done something so atrocious that they cannot be buried with the normal rites and rituals. They're set out intentionally to rot. And it's interesting because usually when these are set out to rot, they are left out to be eaten by the dogs and the scavenger birds. And so in some respects, this actually makes me wonder if dogs, not only as scavengers do they consume death, but they also cleanse it. These are corpses that humans are forbidden from touching. They have what's known as a spiritual pollution. They are taboo. And so since humans cannot touch them, they are left out for the dogs. And so the dogs actually remove this polluted individual from the ranks of society. And we do find a couple of ideas of this. Actually, starting again with the Iliad in Book 1, the bitter rancor of Achilles, prince of the house of Peleus, brought a thousand troubles upon the Achaean host. Many a strong soul it sent down to Hades and left the heroes themselves a prey to dogs and carrion birds. What a great line. We also have the Antigone by Sophocles uh, several hundred years later. Basically, there is a war between brothers. and There are two brothers who are supposed to alternate the throne between them. That was their agreement. They are going to rule for a year. So one brother would rule for a year and then he'd give up the throne to the other brother and of course you can see where this is going uh, even though they were supposed to alternate the throne back and forth the first brother decided he did not wish to give it up and this got to be a problem so essentially what happens <laughs> the brother who doesn't have the throne goes to war against the brother who won't give it up and because he does this we're talking Polynices and Eteocles because of this attack this is where things get fun one brother who defends the city even though he is going against his agreement and not relinquishing the throne when he is killed by his brother he is buried as a hero the invading brother however is invading and that's one of the worst things that you can possibly do in the ancient world is to come as a hostile force to your fatherland and even though when he throws his spear he kills his brother his brother threw his spear and killed him and so upon his concurrent death actually he is left out for the dogs and so the quote is this but as for his blood brother Polynices who returned from exile home to his father's city and the gods of his race a proclamation has forbidden the city to dignify him with a burial or to mourn him at all no he must be left unburied his corpse carrion for the birds and the dogs to tear and obscenity for the citizens to behold I mean, look at these lines. How can you not love this? Something a little bit closer, perhaps, to Western ideology is going to actually be the Bible. And this will probably be my last account before we go to commercial break, but the Bible itself has an account of dogs as carrion eaters. The offending member of the particular order 
was a woman by the name of Jezebel, who, if you recall uh, your Old Testament or Hebrew Bible studies, basically went up against God. She was a Baal worshiper and uh, would not submit herself and her people to Yahweh, so to the Judaic God. So what ends up happening? She applies her makeup because her prophets have failed. Her reign has been overturned. Her husband is killed. And so, again, and I always love Jezebel for this, she quits the world entirely. She goes up to her bedroom. She puts on her makeup and she waits for the conqueror to come in. And so, when he comes in, she is essentially tossed from the palace window. There's this wonderful description, and it's very gory, but it's in there. This is why I always find things so interesting, because people say, oh, scripture is so boring to read, and I think, oh, you're not reading the right stuff, because, you know, her body hits the ground, and blood splatters against the palace walls. I mean, you can just, you know, envision this, you know, very, very vividly. And so, essentially, what happens? The conquerors go in, and they eat dinner. And when they eat dinner, they come back out, because Jezebel's still a queen. So she's going to get at least some sort of interment. But, and here comes the quote from Second Kings 9, 32-37. They came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by the servants Elijah the Tishbut, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, This is Jezebel. Quite literally, when they went out to bury her body, she had been eaten by the dogs. So again, we are still seeing this aspect of dog as scavenger, dog as cleanser. And after these few commercial messages, we'll find out what else dogs can do. We'll be right back. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Hello! I'm Deborah Wolf, and I'm inviting you to my animal party on Pet Life Radio. My pet experts will be coming to the party to answer your pet questions, and they'll also be sharing their favorite stories and messages with us, but I'll be asking them some tough questions. We'll get their opinions on the hot-button topics like the pit bull ban, pet food, vaccines, religion, politics, and animals, cat decline, and the latest news, whatever's turning the animal world on its head, we'll be talking about at the animal party. This party's got bite. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And welcome back to Paranormal Pets Radio. Actually, this episode might end up being a two-parter. <laughs> this is a very long research essay. But we were talking about the role of dogs as liminal beings, dogs as death guardians, dogs as cleansers of death. And eventually, believe it or not, this will tie into ghosts, but it may be the next episode that you'll just have to listen for. So uh, as we continue through our discussion of dogs and death, uh, we do have one other category that I'd like to touch on today, and that is dogs as the perverted messenger. Now, please don't think the wrong thing. Uh, Essentially what happens in some mythologies is that there is a message passed on between divinity and humankind. That message is usually passed on through an animal or totemic being or some sort of special being. And in this case, these are stories that relate to, of course, our topic, the canine. What ends up happening is usually these are, are indigenous mythologies and they're almost always trying to explain the cause of death. Initially, according to the supernatural world, we were not supposed to die. And I always think that's great. God or Godhead or divinity or whatever you want to call it, you know, said, hey, humankind should live on. But when this message is passed on to, in this case, the dog, something happens, the message is not given, and therefore humankind must die. So the first one that I have, and I only have three of these stories, but we actually have a story from the Bushmen. And in the Bushman story, the moon is uh, divinity. And if you think about the moon, the moon lives, dies, and resurrects every month. So we go from new moon to waxing moon to full moon to waning moon to new moon. And it comes back again. And so it's a very cyclical being. So this is the one that makes sense for a supernatural connection. And of course, the moon and dogs they definitely connect up because you have the old idea of of wolves howling at the moon, right? So what we have is the moon decided that men should come back from the dead, that they would have everlasting life. But one man whose mother had just died refused to believe this message. And the moon was furious and she struck him. And he actually gained a hair lip. And because of that hair lip, she transformed him into a rabbit. And the story is that he was literally to be chased by the dogs, who when they have caught him, they shall tear him to pieces, and he shall all together die. So dogs, again, kind of an interesting transition, but uh, cleansing from society because of non-belief from humankind. Uh, but a definite spokesperson on behalf of the supernatural. The Nandi of East Africa have another story. Though death tidings are actually brought directly by a dog to humankind, the dog was given the message, humankind should have everlasting life. The problem is, and I love this story, that he comes down and he sees people drinking beer and milk, and he wants beer and milk too. Well, humans kind of laugh at him, because it's interesting, in this story, you see that they recognize the dog as somewhat like them, but he's not human. So while they laugh at him, they do agree to give him beer and milk, but they do not give it to him in human containment vessels. In other words, they're not using their good silverware to feed him. 
So he is highly offended, and he refuses to pass on the message. Therefore, humans must die. The third and final story I think for this episode is going to be the idea from the Togo land in West Africa that there are two messengers with a story with a message to give to God. Because apparently, in some of these stories, this is kind of that tortoise and the hare basis. You find these stories elsewhere in in indigenous cultures. But God, for whatever reason, has two. Messages. One is you will live, and the other is you will die. Now God almost always tries to set things for us on our behalf, just something better. So usually the message for you will live is given to some sort of speedy animal, whereas the message for you will die is given to some sort of slow animal. Unfortunately, just like the tortoise and the hare, what happens? The hare gets a little full of himself, and he refuses to pass on that message. Or He gets distracted. He's not refusing to pass it on. He just thinks he's so fast that nobody can catch up to him, and he's got no worries. So the story is that the two messages are brought by a dog and I believe a chameleon, and the dog who's traveling through the world, way ahead of his adversary, smells a man who's cooking herbs. And the dog decides that he's hungry, and I don't know about the rest of you, but I did take my pugs in for their annual check over and shots, and and I was rather surprised when they told me that my pugs were not fat, but that they were well rounded. They're a little overweight, so we're working on that problem. But it's very hard to turn them down, isn't it? Because as you know, no matter how often you feed them, they always want more. Well, this story has this idea with this dog. He says, "Oh, those herbs smell great." I am going to take them, or at least I'm going to beg for them if I can't steal them. And so he sits there and he begs from the man who's cooking. And in the meantime, the chameleon kind of plods by him. The dog sees him going by and he says, "Ah, I'm hungry. I'll get caught up eventually." And unfortunately, it takes so long for him to eat that the death message is the first to arrive. And so we have that perverted message—the idea that, hey, look, I set everything up for you, and this is what happened, and somehow humankind or the animal totemic being has failed to do what it was supposed to do. So I hope you've enjoyed this. I know it's a little bit different. It's very odd for me to to attempt to do a lecture in front of a recorder, actually, but I would like to try and continue this. Perhaps in the next episode of Paranormal Pets, I do have a few other articles that I'd like to read, and、uh, let's take a look at other ways in which dogs and death interrelate. So, for all you dog lovers out there, please give your precious pooch a pet for me. Remember to support your animal charities and your animal rescues. Always, 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 and remember to value your pets as they are. And with that, I will see you next episode. Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week, we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Step into the supernatural world of pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.